Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Welcome to another edition of the Blue Gold Report. I'm Todd Burlich, contributing writer with Blue and Gold Illustrated. Associated Press and a couple other media outlets. I'll be joined here shortly by Mason Plummer, who's in Mexico on spring break. Lucky guy. We're going international, taking the show international today. As always, we're brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons. Funeral homes in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Find people there. They've been supporting us for a long time. You can find Mason at Mason Plummer 6, numeral 6 on Twitter, or slapthesign.com. You can find me on blueandgold.com. Mason, getting uh, sunburnt down there? Yeah, a little bit. It seems to always happen to me. I know it's gonna. I know it's coming, but I seem to always kind of fry. So I'm recovering. <laughs> yeah, I do the same thing. I know better, but I can't help myself for sure. A lot to talk about, obviously, especially with spring ball opening. We're gonna get into what I was able to sit through the open practice here on Thursday morning. Uh, some observations I'll share with you there. And then just some personnel notes, injuries, those type of things. And then a few coaching nuggets that came out of that. Um, we're going to make a quick fly-by hoops. Not much to talk about there. I do want to take one final look at the combine numbers. Mason and I were unable to kind of put a bow on it last week because they were still going on as we were recording the show. Then a little hockey, and we will wrap it up at that point. But as we start every show, let's get to some blue-gold nuggets. We have a five-pack this week. I'm going to start baseball here. Nico Cavatas, he's a third baseman now for Notre Dame, and he earned national Player of the Week honors. He's a Penn kid, a local kid from Granger, Indiana. Last season, as a sophomore, he led Notre Dame with 12 home runs. This year, he had four home runs on one weekend against Presbyterian down in South Carolina. He finished that three-game sweep of Presbyterian. He had four home runs and nine RBI. The Notre Dame baseball team will open its ACC season uh, this weekend at North Carolina. Mason, you're up. Former Notre Dame and Atlanta Falcons safety Zeke Modest filed a lawsuit claiming medical negligence against ex-Falcons team physician Pharaoh Karras and Emory Sports Group, according to an ESPN report that came out just about two days ago, Todd. So Modest's lawsuit alleges that Karras incorrectly diagnosed a non-displaced fracture in his neck as a muscle strain and cleared Modest to play. This then became a displaced fracture with ligament damage that ended Modest's what looked to be a bright NFL future at just 10 games. The trial set for this upcoming Monday, March 9th. Uh, Mata played at Notre Dame from 2009 to 2012 with a captain on the undefeated 2012 team and was just about the only player that played well against Alabama in the 2012 championship game with a career-high 16 tackles. Jack Collinsworth, a Notre Dame student here at one point from 2013 to 17, following in his father's footsteps, Chris Collinsworth, and actually making some big strides in his career for being in his mid-20s. I'm a little bit jealous, I guess. Jack Collinsworth has left ESPN and ACC Network after three years to return to NBC, where he will be actually reunited with his father, so to speak. Dad, His dad works on Sunday Night Football for the network. And when Jack was at ND here, he did a lot of uh, audio-video work during his time as a student here. And then he actually did move on to NBC, did some sideline coordinating, some work there. It was actually a social media coordinator, media coordinator for the 2016 Rio game. So he has pretty good experience. ESPN and ACC Network gobbled him up, but he's coming back to NBC where he will indeed, among other things, be part of the NBC Notre Dame football broadcast. Go ahead, Mace. 
as we're getting into spring practice and everything, you're starting to see guys' heights and weights. And, you know, once they all measure in and everything, it's interesting to see who's gone up, who's gone down. So I have a five-pack of guys that I wanted to look at. First off, the quarterback, Drew Pine, coming into Notre Dame, he was six foot, 181 pounds, and after weighing in and uh, measuring, he's five and five foot eleven and a half with 194 pounds. He's still very small in stature, just in the pictures I've seen. Todd, I'm sure you saw in person, as compared to Ian Book and Brandon Clark, who are a little bit more jacked, for lack of a better word. Um, but that strength and conditioning program will help even him out. Defensive end Jordan Batello, before coming in, Notre Dame six four, two twenty six, and after weighing and measuring in, six two and a half and 248 pounds. So he put on. 22 pounds, but is down an inch and a half from his initial me- measurement. So not quite the length and when uh, many maybe have been expecting from Batello, but definitely put on some weight there. Third, the running back, Jafar Armstrong. This guy took me by surprise. I didn't realize he was the heaviest running back, Todd, by 13 pounds. You'd, you'd think that a guy like Junior Smith would be the heaviest. But yeah, by 13 pounds, Jafar Armstrong at six foot and three quarters, 220 pounds. And then at, at cornerback, freshman Caleb Offord, up 14 pounds before he was six six foot one 170 pounds and after six one 184. Lastly, another corner, Junior Tariq Bracy, put on 10 pounds is now five ten and an eighth, 180 pounds. Todd, what do you think about that? Yeah, Bracy could use it for sure. It was interesting because I watched Offered yesterday, and indeed he still looks thin out there. So it's interesting that he's already put on that kind of weight. Last one for me: Notre Dame's two year, two class string of not losing a verbal commit. Came to an end this week. Came to an end on Wednesday when coveted four-star offensive lineman Greg Crippen. Uh, he's from Football Factory IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. He decommitted from the 2021 class. Um, he had pledged all the way back in March, which was one year after Notre Dame lost its last verbal commitment. That was a 2009 quarterback by the name of Cade McNamara who ended up going to Michigan uh, let's see, Crippen, 6'4", 285 pounds, really highly recruited kid, Alabama, Ohio State, among some of the other top schools. Seemed like Notre Dame saw this one coming. For main reason is because Crippen was visiting a lot of other schools, even while verbally committed to Notre Dame. The uh, Irish recruiting department, whatever you want to call it, they sent out uh, some flyers and some letters and some things to everybody in this 2021 class, and they left Crippen off the mailing list. So certainly the Irish brass seem to see this coming. And those, my friends, are your blue gold nuggets. Let's move on to some spring football here, Mason. It, it was a fast-paced practice. I mean, for the first time out, it, it was fun to watch. It was entertaining Kept it moving, new coaches, a lot of new players with the early enrollees running around out there, and a lot of old faces as well. So I, I think my takeaway was it was a fast-paced practice. Brian Kelly will pop a clip in here shortly. Was very pleased with what he saw, and I'll get into some player stuff here a little bit more specific. But let's go ahead and punch in Brian Kelly's thoughts on his first day of spring, and you can tell he was quite pleased. You know, we've had a good offseason. I mean, I'm really pleased with the leadership of our, our team and that was evident today. Um, you know, we practiced the right way today. The pace, the uh, competitiveness, uh, it doesn't get much better than that um, for a first day practice. Um, it was competitive. It, there was high levels of execution. And um, there, was a, there was a really good tempo to the practice. We got a lot of work done technically and tactically, and that's what we were looking to do. And so um, from that perspective, we, we, um, 
we took a, a, a good step forward in the construction of this team today. So there you have BK. Liked what he saw? And, uh, you know, it's it's hard to – these guys are just working in shoulder pads and helmets, so you don't want to read too terribly much into it. Uh, but certainly it was entertaining. A lot of guys running around. Everybody was there. There were a few injuries. Um, let's see, some guys that are missing time here. Let's go ahead and start with that. Most notable, Aaron Banks, the starting left guard. He will be out for all of spring. He's recovering from a, a broken foot, so he'll be in a boot. They're not going to mess with him during spring ball. He's the only guy that's being called truly out for the entire spring. Some of these guys are limited, though. Um, as a matter of fact, Tommy Kramer and Robert Hainsey, a couple more starting offensive linemen for Notre Dame, once it got to be a little bit of a contact drill, they were pulled out. They did kind of the position drills, those types of things. But when it came 11-on-11 11 11 time, they were pulled out. Um, for preventive measures there. They are suffering some from some minor injuries. If you remember, both those guys missed some time last season, late last season, with injuries. So a uh, little bit of a dinged-up offensive line to start. Here are some other guys that are, that are limited. They are out there running around for the most part, most of them anyways. Dalen Hayes, he's recovering from a torn labrum. Defensive end, obviously. Cam Hart, cornerback, another labrum injury. He actually had surgery on it. Sean Crawford. Uh, is working a bad hamstring, cornerback. A couple linebackers, Jack Lamb, uh, still recovering from that hip injury. Shane Simon, bad knee. Again, a lot of these guys are participating in some of the position-specific drills, but not when it comes to the big boy stuff where they're getting banged around a little bit. Defensive line Howard lineman Howard Cross, uh, undisclosed injury. And, of course, Jay Brunel, we talked about him last week. He had shoulder surgery. He's a wide receiver, an early enrollee freshman. So that's kind of your injury list. I guess, Mason, when you watch the practice, especially the 11-on-11, 11 11, I think what jumped out at me is the play of the wide receivers, one in particular, Kevin Austin. Missed all of last year for kind of undisclosed reasons. He was in Brian Kelly's doghouse, be it academic or for whatever reason. 6-2-2-10, the guy looked great. I kind of forgot what a nice player he is, uh, in all honesty. And Javon McKinley, who we were been wondering a little bit about, is he coming back for this fifth year? Indeed, it looks like he is. Brian Kelly said all the paperwork seems to be cleared. He'll be good to go. He looked great also. A couple bigger-bodied guys there I think Ian Book's going to be uh, enjoying throwing to. Mason, I don't know if you had a chance to read much about these two guys. It seemed like everywhere you looked, they were the top storylines. Are you at all surprised that a couple guys are sort of, you know, were kind of lost in the shadows last year, really emerged as what I thought were the top two players during this first spring practice? Yeah, it is interesting. It seems to happen in the spring that guys that may have been forgotten about the season before really burst onto the scene, but maybe not as quickly as the first practice. That's really what you want to see. Kevin Austin definitely has the hype going into the spring, and it seems like he's proven it. So it's good to see from Kevin Austin. That's one I expected, but one I did not necessarily expect was Javon McKinley. So I'm glad you got to see good things from him yesterday, Todd. Yeah, for sure. And it was interesting because some of the, the cornerbacks actually did a pretty good job covering these guys. It was a lot of 50-50 balls where they were just taking it away from the defensive back. You could even see Tariq Bracey getting a little bit frustrated out there at times. So hopefully that's something to build on in this receiving core because Ian Book is going to need it. And Ian Book, speaking of which, he looked great. Um, let me pull up the numbers here from what he did. He just There was a poise about him. And again, I know it's, it's helmet and shoulder pads, 7-on-7, 11-on-11, no full contact. So... It's dangerous to read too much into these, but at the same time, it's what we have to do, right? Because it's all we have. Ian Book in the seven-on-seven drills, 
went 5 of 5, and then he went 8 of 9 in 11 on 11. So 13 of 14 passes, hit a couple big passes uh, to, once again, Austin and McKinley. Uh, Brendan Clark took his share of reps, too, presumably books back up here. Wasn't as sharp, especially in the 7-on-7 drills. He threw 4 of 8, according to my count, and had a pick, threw a pick to D.J. Brown, defensive back there. A little bit better. Clark was better in the uh, 11-on-11. 6 of 8, hit McKinley with a deep ball and also threw a touchdown, what would have been a touchdown. They didn't quite finish running all the way to the end zone, uh, but to Micah Jones. So uh, there's a pretty visible drop-off, not surprisingly, between Book and Clark. So let's hope Book stays healthy. Drew Pine, while he participated in the quarterback-specific drills and did all that work, he did not take any reps in 7-on-7 or 11-on-11 drills. Again, when I looked at it, I just thought, I just thought Ian Book had a nice poise about him. His decisions were quick and sharp. His balls looked great. They were, were right where they needed to be, where nobody else was going to get a shot at him other than his receivers. They did a good job of hauling him in. I asked Brian Kelly in the post-practice interview session because I couldn't help but wonder when you're talking about losing Chase Claypool and Cole Komet and Chris Fink, you know, three your top three receivers from last year. Does Book have to approach this season any differently as far as a leadership standpoint or however with all these new faces he'll be throwing to? And here's how Brian Kelly answered that. No, I think his presence itself is has been great. I mean, he's thoughtful. Um, he's, look, I mean, what's great leadership, right? To me, um, when, when you battle through adversity, after the Michigan game, for him to lead our football team to six consecutive wins, that's pretty good. That shows some resilience and some leadership, and all those guys know that. So they want to follow a guy like that just because of his actions from last year. So he's got a ton of credibility and a lot of respect from his peers. He doesn't really need to walk around and scream and yell. He's got a presence about him, and he just needs to be Ian Book and lead in the, in the manner of who he is. He doesn't need to be anybody else. Just be Ian Book, and I think he'll be fine. So as you can hear there, Mason, Brian Kelly doesn't want Ian Book to change a thing, and you can understand why. He talked about the six-game winning streak after the Michigan loss, really built in some equity for him among his teammates, and, and that seems to have carried over, according to Brian Kelly, through the summer, or I'm sorry, through the winter workouts and now into the spring. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Another thing that struck, uh, Brian Kelly finally had a chance to introduce his new coaches. Um, we're talking about Mike Mickens, the cornerbacks coach, and tight ends coach John McNulty. We, this was the first crack we had at even talking to Brian Kelly, going all the way back to the Camping World Bowl. And so he kind of explained what he liked about these guys. Obviously, Mickens played for Brian Kelly at Cincinnati. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he, this is Mickens' eighth year full-time as a cornerback's coach, and that's part of what the draw was for Brian Kelly. A little bit of familiarity, but a guy that's very much specific to the cornerbacks. Uh, he worked in Idaho 2013, Bowling Green 14, 15, 16, and 17, and then Cincinnati last two seasons in 18 and 19. So, again, that familiarity between coach and player – Brian Kelly really liked that, and that was part of the draw to bring Mickens in. Those guys were, and then McNulty as well. There was a, they were out there. They were working their butts off and, and running around out there, so hitting the ground running, as you'd expect. 
McNulty, interestingly, because Brian Kelly typically does lean towards that familiarity when he comes to his coaching hires, there is no tie between Brian Kelly and John McNulty. Um, but uh, McNulty did share a stop, worked one year alongside Notre Dame offensive co- coordinator Tommy Reese. So that was with the San Diego Chargers in 2016. The thing that Brian, Brian Kelly liked about McNulty is he has 29 years of coaching experience. And Kelly also said he was impressed during McNulty's interview with he really likes the two tight end set. And that kind of goes back, Mason, to what we talked about last week with Tom Reese. You and I agreed that we think we're going to get a heavier dose of the running game this year, not so much a 50-50 split between pass and run. And McNulty, with his preference for a two tight end set, that seems to be the direction that Brian Kelly wanted, and that's the direction he went with this hire. So, and, he, and Brian Kelly said he also liked that he's very technically driven. He, he wants good technique from his players, and that's why he's been a big one for Brian Kelly. And in 29 years of coaching, you've been all over the place. So you've made a lot, of, uh, a lot of friends and a lot of places that might be able to help with the recruiting end of things. Just a couple more quick coaching notes here of, that, that I found interesting. Chris Watt. Former offensive lineman, he played for Brian Kelly in two thousand uh, until two thousand thirteen. Was a third round draft pick of the San Diego Chargers in two thousand fourteen. There's a Chris Watt sighting. He's going to be a grad assistant here at Notre Dame. He's been hired as a grad assistant, working with the offensive lineman. Really good guy. Was a solid player actually for the San Diego Chargers. Played seventeen games there over two seasons, but a knee injury cut his career short. But I think more importantly and more uh, more notably. Kerry Cooks, a former Notre Dame defensive backs coach. We all walked into practice, and there's Kerry Cooks floating around on the field. Who would have saw that coming? He left here in 2015. He worked under Brian Kelly from 11 to 15 as a defensive backs coach. Left in 2015 to go to Oklahoma. I believe there was a little bit of bad blood there at the time. Well, he's back. Uh, He's going to be in an analyst role uh, for Notre Dame. So he was out there coaching as well, doing his thing on the field. Mason, did anything jump out at you there? Uh, were you at all surprised that Kerry Cooks came back? Because if I'm not mistaken, I think there was a little bit of bad blood there. Yeah, there definitely was. And, yeah, when I first heard that, obviously I am i don't have the first notion like you did and necessarily seeing him in person. But when I heard that all the way from, from Mexico, I was taken aback a little bit. Like, yeah, there was definitely bad blood there. I knew Kerry Cooks necessarily was out of a job. Um, looked like he was leaving Oklahoma at about the beginning of January, so it's been a couple months now, and to see him walking to practice like that, you know, right. maybe we don't know as much as we think being in the media. Um, we like to think we know what's going on, but it doesn't <laughs> really seem like it, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with Kerry Cook. Yeah, you're right about that. That was probably the biggest surprise of anything that came out of spring ball, seeing Kerry Cooks walking around out there. Uh, I, I actually asked him, but I thought he was at Texas Tech at this point, so maybe that didn't work out. Let me give you a quick rundown, and again, it's dangerous with the, all the injuries, and it's just spring ball, one practice, just try to project a depth chart. But at least let me run down who the ones were here for you. Obviously, Ian Book was the number one quarterback, Jafar Armstrong running back. Avery, Avery Davis has left this position group running back, and he has now moved to a slot receiver where that kid cannot find a home. Uh, boundary receiver Kevin Austin. Field receiver, Braden Lindsey. Slot receiver, Lawrence Keyes. I don't think any huge surprises there, although Austin may be a little bit of one. Uh, tight end, Brock Wright. I thought Tommy Trumbull would probably be the first guy in there, and which he may very well be. 
as far as the offensive line, left tackle Liam Eikenberg, left guard Josh Lug. He's uh, replacing Aaron Banks right now. Center Jared Patterson, right guard Tommy Kramer, right tackle Robert Hainsey. Moving on to the defense, the Viper end is Dalen Hayes. The three technique, uh, Myron Tagovailoa-Amosa. Uh, tag, Nose tackle, Kurt Heinisch. And strong side end, Ade Ogundeji. So no big surprises there. Rover, again, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. Mike linebacker, Drew White. Buck linebacker, Jordan Jenmark Heath. That was one of the positions we weren't sure how that was going to look. But Jordan Jenmark Heath worked with the ones yesterday. Uh, let's see here. Boundary corner, Tariq Bracey. Strong safety, Houston Griffith. Free safety, Kyle Hamilton. And the field corner, Isaiah Rutherford. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that field corner competition. The way it worked out yesterday, it was Rutherford starting, Wallace second, and then Ramon Henderson third. That will be a little bit fluid, I'm sure. And I guess those were some of the spring practices, practice observations that I had and I took away. Mason, I want to bust through these uh, combine results real quick here. Put a bow on this. Chase Claypool, nine Notre Dame guys were there doing various degrees of workouts. Chase Claypool, the wide receiver, he probably was the star of the show for Notre Dame. Six foot four, two hundred thirty-eight pounds. He was the heaviest among all the wide receivers there, and the third tallest. His bench press of 19 reps, 225 pounds, 19 reps, was impressive. Um, It was in the top half of the wide receivers, actually very much so. He stunned everybody with his 40-yard dash. He said it was going to be a sub-4-5. Nobody nobody believed him. It was 4-4-2, which was incredible. Seventh fastest among wide receivers, which doesn't sound that great, but when you're six foot four and 238 pounds, that's not bad at all. And his vertical jump was 40.5 inches, so obviously he can go up and get the 50-50 balls. We all saw that personally here. Jalen Elliott, safety, probably a disappointment here. Uh, six foot three and eight inches tall, 205 pounds, had 15 reps on the bench press. Here it is. Here's what was very disappointing for Jalen Elliott. It might even drop him, drop him out of the draft. 4.8 second. 4.8 second 40 yard dash. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I think it was uh, it was the slowest among the 49 defensive backs. Mason out of 49 dudes, 4.8 for Elliott uh, was the slowest of all of them. So he'll have to improve on that when he does his pro day here at Notre Dame. I believe that is April 1st, if I'm not mistaken. Chris Fake, another guy, five foot nine and a half, 186 pounds, only did seven reps on the bench press. He really needed to shine. In the 40-yard dash, he only ran a 4.57. Now, he did have an injury, suffer an injury, a hamstring injury in the East-West Shrine game. So his workouts were a little bit limited leading up to the combine, but still not very impressive numbers there. Lohia Gilman, five foot two, 201 pounds, 17 reps on the bench. 4.6-second 40-yard dash. Not horrible for a safety, not terrific for a safety either, although he was the fastest out of 21 defensive backs that ran the three-cone drill. And the third fastest out of the same nineteen, or out of a group of nineteen in the short shuttle. So his uh, lateral movement was really good. Tony Jones Jr. running back, five foot ten, two hundred twenty pounds. Nothing to write home about here. Thirteen on the bench press and a four six eight forty yard dash. That's going to have to be improved on in the combine. Khalid Kareem, six foot three, two hundred sixty eight pounds. Been injured, didn't do anything. Cole Komet was impressive as well. Probably right behind Claypool as far as the guys um, helping their stock. Six foot five, two hundred sixty-two pounds. 
Uh, didn't participate in the bench press, but he was right there among the leaders when it comes to tight ends with a 4.740, a 37-inch vertical. So good stuff there, and he's a big dude. Juan Aquara, the only thing he did was the bench press. He's six foot four, 252 pounds, 27 reps. Very impressive there. Troy Pride Jr., cornerback. He said he was going to run a 4-2. He ran a 4-4-0, so he was a little bit disappointed in that, even though it was the fourth fastest among all the cornerbacks. He wants to do better at his Pro Bowl there. So uh, I believe that's your rundown of the Combine, guys. Mason, did anything stick out to you on that list? Uh, not necessarily. I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. But, um, yeah, just play- Chase Claypool's time was just ridiculous pretty much for his size and you're talking about the top wide receiver in the class probably jerry judy running a 446 and chase claypool runs faster than that that's just insane considering how much bigger chase claypool is than jerry judy so um really boosting his draft stock as well as cole Komet. i think claypool could boost himself into a second or even third round pick oh yeah i think claypool is definitely um i i would think he probably locked up a second round pick i think first is probably a little bit ambitious um i want to see what troy pride runs when he does the pro day here he was quite disappointed that is not what he was looking for and it's i mean don't get me wrong 4.40 is burning but he promised everybody he was pretty confident that he was going to do that in 4.2 uh in the 4.2 range uh so he fell a little short of that but still certainly uh did himself well in uh, both the senior bowl and some of the other events, the disciplines that he did down there at the Combine. All right, Mason, we got to take this on here. Now that we finished up with the football talk, we got a couple minutes here to talk some hoops. Not a lot there to look forward to, and Mike Bray seems beaten down a little bit. And I don't think it helped that they blew a 13-point lead in the last 10 minutes to number 7 Florida State this week. Ended up losing 73-71. Mike Bray was so ticked off that actually he skipped his post-game radio interview. He hasn't done that in 20 years, but he said, I'm not interested in taking part in it. He was so ticked off. Um, So we'll have to wait and see. That's going to be something to keep an eye on. Once the season's over, if I get a chance, because they're going to be NIT-bound now and they may play at home again, I'm I'm, I'm just going to ask him spot out where he feels his career is. 18-12 18 and 12 overall, 9 and 10. Again, once they lost to Florida State, any hope of an at-large NCAA tournament bid was taken care of. They'll have to win the ACC tournament next week. A little bit too early to project where they'll be seated. I believe it could be anywhere from 5 to 9. Um, that'll be in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, I believe they would open play on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. I should have brought that sheet with me. But again, they'll finish up their regular season with Senior Day. Virginia Tech, 2 p.m. The Hokies are 16-14 all. And uh, 7 and um, 17-12, that doesn't look right. Anyhow, 16-14, and 7-12, 7-12 in conference. So um, not much left for the Irish to play for other than pride and maybe try to get hot and make a run in that ACC tournament. The women, also a disappointing week. Finished the season 13-18, and 18, all 8-10 and 10 in play. They'd won three in a row, actually. We're building some momentum. Then they got beat by Pitt in the first round of the ACC tournament. 67-65, Pitt was the worst team in the ACC, but they found a way to end Notre Dame's disappointing season. Something to build on in some respects, but that's it. They won't be in the NIT. They're, they are done. Hockey has a chance to be done as well this weekend. 14 wins, 13 losses, 7 ties. They will play, Notre Dame is a five seed, they will play a two seed 
at Minnesota this weekend. It's a best two out of three. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's the quarterfinal round of the Big Ten. That's how they do this. Your quarterfinal rounds are best two out of three. They need to win this tournament to get to the NCAAs as well. And I don't know that they're up to it. They just really haven't played well after a quick start. Really haven't hit their mojo. Mason, thanks, man. I think I did all the talking in this one since I had a chance to watch the practice. But uh, we're out of time, my friend. Have safe travels back. He's Mason Plummer at MasonPlummer6 and SlapTheSign.com. I'm Todd Burlidge at Todd Burlidge, BlueAndGold.com. Mason, sorry, man. I meant to include you more, but, hey, you're on vacation, so I kind of gave you the week off a little bit. Hey, I think appreciate it. All right, man. We'll chat next week. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.